Hello and welcome to the podcast version of Kenya's biggest conversation that's broadcast live every weekday morning from 6 to 10 a.m. on Spice FM. Hit subscribe for more thought-provoking conversations with your hosts Eric Latif, Ndu Oko and C.T. Muga and who's who of an eclectic mix of guests from the world of politics, policy, business and culture. This is a Situation Room podcast. Enjoy. Let's talk about uh, building skills, especially for plumbers and electricians in the country. We've been talking about this for a while. You know, we talk about the lack of actual skilled and certified labor in the country. Now, there are some people who've uh, done something about this. They are called propeller. And the project lead at Propeller is Lillian Moindego, who is also the country director at Swiss Contact. She joins us now in the studio. Good morning, Lillian. Good morning, Eric. How are you? Very well, thank you. Welcome to Kenya's Biggest Conversation. Great to be here. Enjoy the hot seat of the situation. <laughs> yes, I was checking whether the seat is red, but it's so black, <laughs> just like yours. <laughs> yes, it's black, it's just hot. Okay. Thank Tell you. us about Swiss Contact. Great. Um, so Swiss Contact is a Swiss not-for-profit organization that was formed in Switzerland um, over 60 years ago by um, CEOs who were previously CEOs. They'd retired, so mm. they were CEOs in the private sector in Switzerland. And they thought to themselves, now we have all this time. What can we do to, to be able to better the world? And so they said, oh, there's a lot of development issues in um, the emerging and developing countries. Why don't we use our expertise to help um, provide solutions for this um, issues? Mm. And so they came together and they started meeting and they started unpacking the issues and organizing themselves. And so it continued and we are here 60 years later. And so how we work is basically we look at the issues that are facing the private sector and look at them as a partner and then try to bridge a gap between them and government and the community. And so we're able to provide a solution that is is, is full circle as opposed mm. to only focusing on one, one component. So what do you do? Okay, so you have the money, you have the issues. Yes. Um, you have the community. Yes. All right. Give us an example. So let me give you an example. So what we do is probably we come to a country like Kenya and then we want to run a project and so before we design any project we want to understand what is the situation of Kenya what are the needs in this country um, just to mention um, the private sector in any developing um, country um, provides about 90% of jobs 80 to 90% of jobs yeah. so they mean that it means that they are the most economic driving force in, in the situation. And so we come and find out what challenges are this economic driving group facing and it's in which sector. So what we, for example, here in Kenya, in 2020, we did that feasibility study. And then when we analyzed, we realized that const the construction sector was one that was earmarked for growth. Um, and when we d dug a bit further, we, we asked the private sector companies that are in the construction sector, which are your pain points? And they said, we're experiencing a huge skills mismatch between what we're getting um, from the vocational education mm -hmm. uh, sector and what we are expecting as the market. And so what does that mean for us? Um, when we are constructing, we're actually facing challenges in electrical, 
and plumbing trades. Um, we are not able to find skilled plumbers and skilled electricians. Mm -hmm. And so we asked the question, so what does that lead to? What do you experience because of this skilled gap? So they have to retrain these people who have actually been certified and have gotten some vocational education. So they retrain them. And in the process, um, as they're retraining them, it's, as the work is going on, so there's a lot of wastage of material, definitely. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of delays because even the ones who are unskilled, they are also few, so they have a shortage and they're also not skilled. Mm. So they have delays in delivery. Um, there's, of course, the, what I've mentioned, the wastage of materials. And also sometimes they turn down jobs because they do not have the manpower. Sure. So they're also losing out in terms of revenue and terms of income. Mm. And so we sought to see how to resolve that situation based on our experience and based on the Swissness of the organization. Mm. So, I mean, in order to solve something, obviously, then you have to look at the, the cause yes. of it. So, I mean, very basically, why is there this gap amongst this uh, set of skills? Why? Why is there that gap? So, what happens is, unfortunately, when we're developing solutions, and that's what normally happens, mm. we sometimes tend to leave the, some people out of the room. So maybe the person who will design the curriculum probably for electrical and plumbing in the vocational education space will do it from their expertise and their experience. But they, sometimes there's a big gap, and that's what they said. Mm. Government is not coming or the curriculum developers are not coming to ask us, the private sector, what our needs are. So there's a gap there. Mm. So the person who is receiving the end product and the person who's creating the solution are not seated in a room mm -hmm. or a situation room like this one <laughs> to kind of analyze what topics are needed, what topics are not needed, what do we require, what is missing, and then now design a solution mm. that is meant to address the challenge that the, end, the person who's going to get these um, workers uh, to work with. Mm. For example, let's talk about plumbing. What mm. is it that the industry needed from a plumber that the vocational training institutes were not equipping their students with? I would say also the practical element of it because it's uh. very theoretically based. So I'll come, I have an understanding of different components, but when you ask me to cut the pipes, to join them, when you talk about probably some of these pipes, HDPE pipes, mm. um, that are supposed to be conjoined, and when you ask someone to actually do that joining of those tubes, they're not able to They've do never it. Done it. They've never done it. And then another challenge is whatever equipment and tools they're using to train with at the schools is totally different from what they're receiving in the market. So they're still doing the steel pipes. Yes. And the industry has moved yes. now to the HPPPVV. HDPE pipes. Those ones. Which are made of plastic. <laughs> so so there's a big mismatch over there. So means that I'll have to, once you've come and joined, it's like I'm starting to train you from scratch. Mm. Whereas you actually did spend money and time to get trained. Uh, yeah. Mm. So even before we go towards, you know, uh, strategies for sorting this issue out then it's a bit worrying then uh, because look at the rate at which you know buildings are going up around uh, let's look at Kenya yes yes the rate at which buildings are going up around the country mm -hmm. quite a number of them are residential which of course then begs the need for mm. plumbing mm. and um, proper mason work yeah so are we saying that the majority of the folks who are working on these projects then are not skilled to the levels that they ought to be are we looking at a problem no, no, no. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to uh, be alarmist. Okay. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I would say is that there are there. They're just a very few number compared to what the market needs, mm -hmm. and those 
people who are there have had to go through a lot of retraining and upskilling well on the job right mm -hmm. okay. and we can shorten that cycle okay and be able to create um, a, an individual who just comes in and plug and play they mm -hmm. know what they're supposed to be doing and so then the m buildings are moving faster and they're able to add value and then we're able to see some lack of delays quote-unquote because i'm sure you've also in addition maybe to the ones that are falling which i don't think the result is because of plumbing i think that no. could be specialist something different mm. but i would say what i have experienced and what i've seen is that you see a project starting and it stalls for such a long time mm. and sometimes it's it could be it's possible that the, the issue is on plumbing and mm. electrical works mm. it's possible because there's a shortage of that supply of good ones so maybe this construction is up and ready and now they're waiting for this other very few skilled people to be available to so move that from the other can, project to come yeah when you did your deep dive into determining the needs the demand versus the supply <laughs> mm. did you come up with something that approximately can be looked at to determine in terms of figures what the real gap is yes 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 i'd say yes thank you for that question i would say what the feasibility study showed was that for every 20 plumbers or electricians that are required there only exists four who, who are what? skilled was skilled enough to be able to do the job so if you need 20 of them if you need 20 so it's 25 percent yeah 45 20. so 20 percent yes you yes. can do the job 20. yes okay so you you have a need you're looking for 20 people. You're mm. only able to find four people four. who are skilled to the level that you're looking for. That's alarmist. It's a, it's a big gap. It's a big it's gap, a gap, for sure. But then there are very many people who are out there mm. and they have trained because we have vocational training mm. institutes mm. in the country, across the country, that are still churning out people who are training in plumbing and mm. electrical. Mm. So the thing is, it's a mismatch in the level of skill. It's the level of skill, not the, the number of people that are required. You need someone who's skilled. You need 20 mm. skilled people. You're only able to find four who are skilled to the level that you require. Okay, no. but that skilling is determined by the market. Yes. Because all these others, they've been certified. Yes. These people have come out, they yes. have uh, sat an exam, they've mm. actually passed an exam, they have come out with a certificate. And as far as they are concerned, as far as the government is concerned, they're skilled. Yes. But the market is saying that they are not. Yes. That only a fifth of the people walking around with these certificates are actually skilled. Yes. Now, if this same deep dive that you undertook, mm. what did it tell you about the training institutions from whence these uh, plumbers and electricians and masons came from? And what it is that you found as a gap in their curriculum mm. or even in their ability, if the curriculum exists, mm. to ensure that that is actually taught to meet the market demands? I would say what we found is that the lack of the practicality. So it's very theoretically based. So I would say, uh, for example, if you're doing a grid test one for plumbing or electrical, you do three months of a theoretical classroom training and then you receive three months of an attachment yeah. and that's when you say okay you're certified to this first level yeah. and maybe there are three certifications so you do that until the very end the other thing is that so it's very theoretically based so you have very little opportunity to actually practice what you learned and in that time when you're going to the attachment remember you learned using steel 
maybe pipes and then here you're coming to be introduced to something totally different um <clears throat> maybe you were trained using pliers to cut the the, the pipe and now there's a machine that you, that's what's been used in the company mm. so before it's time for you to really inculcate yourself into it now you, you already finished your three months then you go go back to and school. as you know attaches don't <laughs> do the very difficult work yeah, they but, do then, the but then that's the gap yeah that therein lies the gap yes if this sort of training at the heart of it there's an a practicum which is what we're referring to as an attachment mm. how many such attachments do we have that are also relevant to the market because yeah. you may attach someone and you're going to come across steel pipes where you're attached mm. and then you come to the market because it's not as though steel pipes aren't being used yes there are people who use steel pipes so do we have enough places where someone can be attached so that they're actually very current with the changing modes that are uh, relevant to their specific discipline i think they exist i think the challenge is the disconnect so if i could be coming to you for an attachment right the, i come with this logbook where it's supposed to do certain things and what the curriculum is expecting me to do and maybe I'll just begin to give you what the curriculum, which again does not talk so much about this modern technology, mm. is expecting me to do. So I would say, let me speak to the solution that we provided. For example, with our solution, with this solution that we are, it's a flagship project, by the way. Mm. So this flagship project, we borrowed heavily from Switzerland, who have run what we call the dual approach to learning uh, or vocational education for the last 100 years. And what happens in theirs is that it's very skills oriented. So in a week, you go one day to the school, the TVET center, and four days you go to a company where you're based, where you do your on-the-job training. Good. So there's more emphasis on the on-the-job training. Do we have that here? In this program, yes, we do. So do we have those companies in the country? Do we have enough uh, areas where this practicum can actually be realized? So I would say for this particular project, we had set a target uh, for this mm. flagship, the first cohort. We were targeting 20 companies that would be willing to partner with us to try this um, approach. And we found 20 companies that took on um, about 85 apprentices and so this apprentices um, we did not copy paste the Swiss model we took it we listened to the private sector players here in Kenya we looked at the Swiss curriculum we looked at the Kenya curriculum we listened to and uh, to 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 them in terms of what is missing what do we need to add a lot of practicality a lot of just a few things here and there to make it more practical as opposed to theoretical then we sat also with the national industrial training authority nita who are actually in charge of apprenticeship here in kenya they were involved in the process as well so we got all the important stakeholders to sit down to look at it and then for us to create an updated version of the curriculum that then would be applied under this propeller program mm. to be able to test this method particularly for the Kenyan market. So who lends the ideas of expertise to the program? Because one of the things that you said in the beginning is that there's a disconnect between the career practitioners mm -hmm. and those who hold the skill, or in this case, lack of it. Mm. So now with this flagship project, obviously it's to fill a gap, it's mm -hmm. to right or wrong. So then who gives fuel to the program, to the learning, that is happening while they're in the courses? So that's a good question. So Swiss contact is usually basically we take a facilitator role. So we facilitate all this conversation. So we got the Swiss 
experts who has been involved in the dual approach to learning, working with the local Kenyan uh, plumbers and electrical experts as well as we, when we are reviewing it. Mm -hmm. They're able to learn that knowledge, they're able to guide because they have done it before and they're coming from a system where that works for them and they guide them to how do you make it work for them. So we bring all these people together, then facilitate that conversation. So we have um, the Swiss experts being part of it and the local experts so there's that transfer of knowledge mm -hmm. so then we test it out if we find there's a challenge we i'd say the, the project is pretty agile we try and resolve as we go so we're not like waiting for the full cycle then we say these are our learnings and so we sat back and we watched things as they went wrong but we are very ar agile in identifying the challenges as we go okay yeah um break time break time huh? mm. okay <laughs> i'll hold that thought hold it please <laughs> this is the situation room the only way to start your day. Please contact and project lead at Propeller. It was a two-minute break, and CT, you've held that long. Now I have. Mm -hmm. I have. You mentioned a figure, 85, as the number of um, individuals who went through this apprenticeship pro process. Okay? On a yearly basis, did the deep dive, I'm back to the deep dive, determine just how many such trained artisans we would actually need in order to meet the market demands? That's a good question. <clears throat> just to clarify, the, we kicked off the project in November last year, so the 85 are ongoing. They're receiving training now, um, are, and they're the part of the first cohort. Um, in terms of what we're looking, the number that we're trying to build the gap for, we did not set out with a particular number to say, okay, we need 10,000, and so we are going to work with 10,000. What we sought to do in this first phase is just be able to have a test basis to say there is actually an opportunity for this to be the problem solver. Um, and so because we are an, um, a small organization in the grand scheme of things in terms of Kenya and only working with two privately owned TVET centers in Kenya, there's only so much you're able to do. But we're able to use the results that we find from this first phase, which is a three-year phase, uh, to be able to advise um, the government in terms of policy and how they can be able to roll it out in terms of the cost model. Like this particular first year is this particular first phase is for us to be able to get the financial model correct, to get the actual components of the curriculum correct, to get the right mix for the company and the school, to get uh, feedback from... So it's a pilot. It's a pilot. So basically there's no... In this pilot, we are targeting to train 1,000 plumbers and electricians by the end of the three-year phase. So we'll actually have more data to share. But then from that point, then we can be able to learn and gather and be able to advise the next phase. But I don't think change happens in a very short time because as I mentioned, in Switzerland, the reason why it has worked really well is they've done it for a hundred years. They have done their mistakes. They have learned and learned and relearned. But the most important thing is that their private sector in Switzerland have been the ones who have driven this dual apprenticeship agenda forward. So they're the ones who have come together, have been able to inform the curriculum revisions, determine whether they're right or wrong. They're the ones who work with government together to be able to facilitate that discussion. And I would say because of that, their unemployment rates are at 1.8%. Mm. 
And I would say that there's something, it's not only about how many plumbers we get out there, but in terms of the whole process as well. Mm. So we might get really focused on the numbers, but forget there's a process. There's something, there's a shift in mindset. And Actually, what you're doing is correct. It actually can't get better. But let me explain to you where I'm coming from. Huh? Okay. You kick off this process, you have a goal in mind. Mm. In terms of numbers, a thousand. Mm. In terms of expertise, there's a curriculum, and you're trying to determine how it works because as they are taught, they also go into these practicums, so you see. Mm. Now, the data that comes out, are you waiting for three years to lapse before you can use the data? Mm. Ah, ah, you see where I'm going? Mm. Okay, so please continue. <laughs> Yes, so I had mentioned previously that we are very agile. So once we start seeing, um, uh, let me give an example so that I just don't say figurative things, mm. and yet we are, it's ongoing, so I could actually mm. speak to some of the learnings. So, for example, when we, when we developed the curriculum, there was more focus on the curriculum and on the trainer, mm. uh, them being able to be well-equipped to move forward, there was some focus on the mentors. Mentors are the supervisors on the job in the job companies. There was some focus, but it wasn't that huge. So when we kicked off, is when at that point we were like, hang on, the mentor is a very key component in this program. Mm. Um, the apprentice is based there 75% of his time. The mentor um, has not been trained on the dual approach to learning. See, in Switzerland, it's much easier because everybody, the full cycle, the mentor who is mentoring the, the apprentice has gone through the dual approach of learning. Mm. So he knows what his role is because he understands. He has gone through it himself. But remember, this supervisor, yes, he is a technical expert, but he has not had to kind of be someone who's following some form of a curriculum mm. or be able to support learning. And so there immediately we said, we might have missed out this component. So now we are working together with our experts to be able to deliver something that will equip them to also upskill as mentors, not as technicians per mm -hmm. se, but as mentors you have and a as curriculum trainers. for the mentors. That's what we are developing as well. So it's the same curriculum, but it was just not very focused on training them. But mm -hmm. now we have to do a more of a trainer of mentors. Yeah. Now the Swiss have had this for a hundred years. Mm. Which means even as they train the mentors, mm. there will be a model for supervising the mentors mm. and ensuring that they have a curriculum that guarantees that they are always working towards meeting the ever-changing demands of the industry. Yes. Is this part of what you're working to build? Yes, yes. Mm. So I would say this. Maybe let me just clarify the point. It's not that the curriculum is totally different for the mentor. No, no, no. no. It's the same. So even in Switzerland, it's... It might sound or it might appear that they should be going through a specific training. But remember, he was an apprentice. Mm. Now he's higher. He understands this company. So there's not much. Maybe there's just very actually, low touch. Actually, actually there is. Mm. Being a student and being a teacher are it's two totally very different, different things. You may both know the subject matter. Yes. But there are skills that you must ensure that this mentor has in order yes. to superintend whatever it is the apprentice is doing yeah. and to be able to ensure that whatever is learning, is being learned, is actually entrenched. True. Yes. But I would say the difference is a, the, 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 the difference between maybe a trainer or the teacher in class and the mentor in class and the mentor in the company are slightly different because mm. the trainer is more focused on the theoretical components, the apprentice to understand the theory. Why are we wearing like this? Why does it have to follow this line as opposed to the other line? But the mentor already has this 
technical expertise. So it's the delivery. It's more around the softer skills of delivering this learning to this person. Mm. And then when you combine what this mentor is teaching in the company and what the trainer is teaching in the school, they complement each other pretty well. So for for that's what I have heard and yeah. learned from the, those experts in Switzerland. Okay. It's that it's the same thing, but it's just how you approach it. It's a bit different. So who's this mentor? And I ask that because I remember about two years ago in this room we read a story about the engineering. Do I want to call them association board? Board. Thank you. <laughs> and they were concerned because mm -hmm. there was a skill, specific skill certification mm. that was missing from a lot of the graduates that mm. came into the career world. And they said, "Hold on a minute. We can't really have them practicing and as as engineers if they don't have this certification." Mm. Now, many would have wished that previously there was some kind of symbiotic relation mm. between those who are on the board because these are practicing engineers and the education system to guarantee that this lot of people that you're putting into the working world have everything they need to practice mm. on the ground. So that's why I ask who's this mentor? The mm. mentor essentially is passing on knowledge to these folks who are being trained mm. in this cohort. I would assume and maybe wrongly that a mentor is somebody who is practicing in the field and has an understanding of what needs to happen mm -hmm. practically on the ground mm -hmm. and then for me that would show that that relationship that we're looking for is actually being practiced before they graduate yes so the mentor yes you're right it's the supervisor it's your mechanical engineer graduate or um or a certified plumber electrician who has worked for long for long so either he has gained it through maybe some form of apprenticeship or he has gained it because he had a bachelor of science in, in electrical engineering and has worked there as well so yes it's whatever you're actually describing is it mm -hmm. he is a professional mm -hmm. um that's the has, experienced person yes in the company in the company who this intern reports to yes okay and they deal with the intern on a daily basis they deal with an intern but Han is saying that there is no shortage of skilled electricians and plumbers in the construction sector and he's saying i'm speaking from the ground what yeah. we have is people coming out of uh, the vocational training institutes mm, mm. skilled but they lack the experience uh, could you repeat that again maybe i've missed what's the question i'm going to read it verbatim <laughs> there is a difference between being skilled and being experienced yes plumbers and electricians coming from our tivet institutions mm. are skilled yes but may lack the experience to take on big projects. Yes. So they come into the field and they are mentored by the experienced ones. Yes. There is no acute shortage of skilled electricians and plumbers in our construction field. Do you agree? <laughs> That's a good... I think it depends on the position. I mean, it's, it's how you look at it. Mm -hmm. I would say this. You could graduate, and even anybody could graduate, myself as well. I graduated... And I thought I had a very good degree. And so when you give me any work, I should be able to do it. Because then that means I am properly skilled. I am a graduate with a certificate. It might not be in plumbing or electrical works, but I'm a graduate in a, in a, with a certificate. But when I come, what was I doing? So for example, for me, there was no attachment that was required. So when I got out of university and I had done actuarial science, you would expect that if you start giving me these complex actuarial computations, that I should be able to give you an advice that 
would be able to move us forward. But I wasn't mm. in that capacity. <clears throat> and I took, I underwent some two or three years before I got to the level where I am confident to being able to give an advice. It's the similar thing. We are certified, but we are not skilled because there's those practical components that are missing. I would also want to say the dual approach to learning is not only focused on uh, hands-on skills like plumbing and electrician work. Mm. In Switzerland, even people who go into banking mm. do the dual approach to learning. Um, even people who, different unexpected trades. We just spoke, we decided to focus on these two mm. as a te test basis. I would also want to say that there's, a, there's an interlinkage which we hope to achieve as we continue, where someone who comes out with this certification in the dual approach the dual apprenticeship can then decide to continue with a diploma and get to that degree mm. but then he will be more efficient compared to another student who just went straight and did a bachelor of science degree in electrical engineering mm. but this one who did two years of a dual approach a dual apprenticeship um, has those great skills after two years joins continues to do a, a diploma and degree and then he comes out more skilled is able to add value faster to the organization mm. compared to someone who just leaves who just leaves and, and then has to kind of undergo some retreat so here the argument is that they are educated but they're not skilled yeah okay yeah. now in this work that you've done uh, you've said you're working with nita the national industrial training authority mm -hmm. there's also the tibet tiveta Yes. The Tibet Authority. Those institutions have people who are experienced in these matters that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Tiveta, mm -hmm. licenses and reviews and um, yeah. you know inspects the vocational trainings all the way to Tibet's. Mm -hmm. And they have also engaged and interacted with very many other people in the country and outside from Switzerland and Germany and elsewhere. And yes, they've looked yes. at, okay, so how do we uh, look at matching what we are producing versus what the industry needs. I've seen very many stories here where Tiveta and Federation of Kenya Employers mm. and Kenya Association of Manufacturers are meeting and talking. Mm. So did you talk to them? Yes, 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 we did. And are you saying that after all those conversations that Tiveta has had with the industry and the market, they have not seen how to adjust their curriculum? Okay. in any way to start addressing the needs of the market such that now Propeller has to come and start doing its own thing parallel. Great, that's a good question, Eric. Actually, that is the challenge of international development is that everybody is always doing something within the space. Um, what I can say is this. Mm. There are different approaches to dual approach to learning. There's Germany does it, Austria does it, Switzerland does it as well. There are different organizations and players out there that have worked with different government, uh, different vocational education institutions. Um, we did speak to Tiveta. We are also hosted the principal secretary, um, Dr. Esther Moria, to come and see our program in January. So she's well aware. Um, and we're working with them as well. The thing is, everybody has done their program and they've implemented it totally different. How we choose to implement a Swiss contact is via finding, doing this feasibility study, working with private sector. Because you could come and say, I want to introduce a dual approach to learning and do it from a policy space. That is one approach. Mm. And so you develop policy that would allow it <clears throat> to happen without having to test on the ground. We, our approach is a bit bottom up. Sounds very political, but no. Mm. Ours is more bottom up. So we are coming, <laughs> identifying what are the needs of the private sector. That's our start base. 
where is the gap? So there is a gap that exists from our feasibility study where the, these two components are not speaking to each other. Mm. So we get them to speak to each other, develop a curriculum based on these discussions that these key stakeholders have had. Mm. Then we test it. Then when we are coming to a point where eventually we are doing advocacy and policy work, we have a backing to say this works because we have localized it. It's from the Kenyan people, by the Kenyan people, mm. and this has been designed for this country. There are different approaches out there, and people are doing it differently, but ours is, is grounded on this private sector. What approach. are you giving at the end of the training? Uh, we're giving a certification. So because we're working with NITA, so we did not want to get into the pitfall where we come run this program on, our, on the sidelines, mm. and then now we want to come and tell the government, could you adopt it? We wanted to work with the National Industrial, Industrial Training Authority on the premise that they are the ones who hold the apprenticeship model. This is an apprenticeship approach. So they verified it and then we agreed that they would give us that they would sit the final level of certification, which is the highest grade for NITA, which is grade one and mm. equivalent to Kenya National KNQA level eight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they get that grade one certificate, yeah. which is uh, recognized by the the national qualifications authority yeah which means that they can then use that to upgrade if they want to yes and it's recognized they can go with it wherever they want to go with it yes okay now the people who are spending 75 percent of mm. time training uh, your uh, your trainees mm. are actually the industry yes how feasible is it or are you seeing for industry to take up the role of training because this is what basically it means it mm. means that the private sector is also becoming the training institute yes is that really feasible are it's you going to see many more people um agreeing to bring in some crew from somewhere who's going to spend one day in a classroom and then four days in my industry spending the time of my skilled electrician so what i would say just to correct this is model is the one day with the four days but ours is one week mm -hmm. you go to to the school and then three weeks you go to the company and mm -hmm. then it keeps rotating it's a two-year program mm -hmm. um i would say they were already spending that time training people because there are different models where they absorb uh, plumbers and electrician. There's the one model where they wait for graduates to come from the vocational education system and then they bring them in and they say they still had to train them for at least to, to retrain them for two years so that they can start um, adding value to the organization. One. Then there's two, they are casual laborers who they've also taken in from their sites where they come with zero skill, zero understanding of what is a pipe or any backing, any theoretical backing and they start training them so they are also kind of going through some apprenticeship so they were doing it anyway okay. this is a different model because now it's more structured and it's not haphazard or based on the job that you're doing mm. it's more structured um, and so ideally should give you more value because this person comes with some backing and knowledge they know they're going undergoing an education so ideally their attitude should be different their mindset should be different they are ready to absorb and mm. then should give you more value faster because they know they're in a training situation. Okay. What so, I'm raising, yeah. Lillian, is mm. for it to be scaled, mm. it means that you need more and more industries yes, to do. actually accept this. Exactly. 
and dedicate time, first of all, to train the mentors, for them to understand the curriculum, mm. so that when these Kurutus come, I'm calling them Kurutus specifically, when they come, <laughs> then this mentor knows how much time they're dedicating to yes. this particular person to pass on the skill. Yes, yes. What's the incentive for the private sector to do this? I would say it's true. It's a mind shift. It's a total mind shift because the yes, training has now come to the company and you have to accept it, right? The intensive for the companies, they are getting skilled workers who are able to then deliver faster and allow them to move faster. There's less wastage of material because they have come with an understanding. They have practiced a bit in the school because in the school they're not, they may not be doing too much practical, but they're doing some time in the workshop. Mm -hmm. Before they come and cut, before they start drilling, they have been taught on safety and health and safety trainings. They have a good backing as well. So they'll get a skilled worker. They'll get someone who's able to deliver value for them faster. They're able to, something else I needed to mention is this, we did take this private sector, just a core group, the first ones who are willing to go to Switzerland to see how this model works. Because I can tell you all about how great this model is, but I have to come and match you to enable you to actually see what are other people doing. Mm -hmm. So we took them for an exposure visit to businesses that were the same size. So the businesses who actually do this dual apprenticeship uh, approach in Switzerland are not big, renowned, famous companies. They're just mid-level companies that have 15 to 20 workers. So we matched them to the same 15 to 20 workers in Switzerland. Mm. When they went and saw, one of the feedback we received is that in a job, let's say they were, that they usually have 20 people, let's say in Kenya doing, mm. they found that, they, that that organization only had five people to do that job. So what does that mean for these companies in the longer term? is that instead of hiring 20 people, you can hire five skilled people. Mm -mm, problem yeah. there. Mm. Longer term. We have many people who need employment. <laughs> no, 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 but, us we're going but to you as private sector, you don't, you are looking at your bottom. No, 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 but, but this, it's, <laughs> 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 let me say this, let me say this city, let me say this city, <laughs> not everybody, and I want to mention this, not everybody who does a dual approach to, mod, a dual approach to learning gets 100% absorbed into that employment. Mm. They already have a skill. When you're skilled, you can stay you can there anywhere. and grow. Yeah. You can decide to go and pursue a certification and become more skilled. So you, you can, can start your own business as well. My real concern actually is not even what I was saying. That was just really, <laughs> by the way. Okay? okay, It's an economic battle that has always been there. Mechanization, yes. industrialization. When people are skilled... They come with an added cost, not just the training, mm -hmm. the remuneration for what they now know. Mm -hmm. The countries you speak of, mm -hmm. whether it is Austria, mm -hmm. whether it is Germany, whether it is Switzerland, mm -hmm. these skilled individuals are paid a premium. Mm -hmm. That is why the incentive is not something you need to preach very widely. People understand mm -hmm. that when you're skilled, in fact, this country speak of Switzerland. Such individuals are highly favored more than these theoretical individuals like myself who went through university and learned a lot of theory. Yes, okay? that's true. That's true. It's true. Yeah. Now, let's come back to Kenya, shall we? Yes, please. Yes. When we skill these people, can this skill be exported elsewhere? Yes. Meaning I can take that certification from NITA and go to Uganda and tell them I've come from NITA. Mm. Okay. I can do this job and because my remuneration ought to be this, mm. is it something that is exportable? I would say that's a very good question. Let me say this. 
this program we're starting of this flagship our intention and our hope is that it will be wildly successful and that the government would want to run it in different trades and in different sectors and in doing so we would become the skill hub the hub of skills in east africa then what does that mean is that people will now get jobs because everyone would say when you're looking for skilled workers they are found in kenya and yes it can be exported but i would want to say that the certification the reason the importance of us having a place or an institution certified within the government of kenya or within the education system is so that it's recognizable within this country mm -hmm. should you choose like any other uh, profession to go and do it abroad or find an opportunity there are numerous opportunities um that can that is possible mm -hmm. but for us we're trying to create a more skilled workforce and possibly be able in the longer term to create great you know drive and ambition and good a good um a positive thought process in this east africa region that this is where skill comes from and we can also be able to export it i would want to say in switzerland but the skills development or this program the way it's designed and everything to them it is also a form of revenue for them being able to teach or being able to do different things with this particular model is a revenue earner for them there are many opportunities that lie within this uh, model itself mm. yeah danger but you have very many people who come here with certificates saying that they are skilled and trained plumbers mm. plumbing becomes expensive yes it does but what i would but say then you is have better guarantees yes because at the end of the day you will spend a lot of money with the unskilled one because you will waste materials there'll be mistakes you'll still spend money but if you get that one good it'll get to that point where you know like where we talk about in those countries where plumbing is actually a job that you come and charge pay so you so much yes yeah. we want to operate with the ask for plumber thing on the poster yeah because that's what it is which one you guys, is, you guys know is on a tree. ask yeah. for plumber on a tree yeah. call that number guy comes ask guy and clogs but you're the not toilet a, but you're not until next week <laughs> that guy comes to your house <laughs> and plugs something and there's water hitting the roof <laughs> i think this would be a good solution to that problem what you need to challenge you anajuanga akuje tufanye sasa tukua wawili madam Stop saying you put your fast. hands together and see how to solve <laughs> yes. the problem. Lillian, thank you very much for joining us. <laughs> thank you as well for having me here. And good work that you're doing. Lillian Mwaindegwa is the country director at Swiss Contract. They are running the program that she's been telling us about, which is called Propeller, which is uh, propelling. <laughs> moving forward. <laughs> moving moving forward. forward. A boost to a brighter future. There you a go. Boost. <laughs> a boost to a brighter future. Keep it here for more conversations. How about that? You made it to the end of today's podcast. You clearly ooze stamina. Guess what? Just hit subscribe at Standard Media Podcast, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts from. Our podcasts drop daily. From me and the team, catch you next time.